0: Welcome to Thrive Community Podcast. We are a church community that is passionate about helping you thrive in your life with Jesus. If you're after more information about Thrive Community, hop onto our website at www.thrivecommunity.au. We hope you feel encouraged and inspired by this message. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. I'm going to read in the NLT, um, but feel free to read along in whatever other translation you might want to. I just feel like there's something nice about being able to read through the whole passage of Scripture, and then we'll look at a couple of things out of it. So Luke chapter 2 from verse 1, and it says, At that time the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was obviously pregnant by this time. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened, but the angel reassured them, "'Don't be afraid,' he said. "'I bring you good news of great joy for everyone.'" The Saviour, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to all whom God favors. And when the angels had returned to heaven, The shepherds said to each other, come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They ran to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. Then the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their fields and flocks glorifying and praising God for what the angels had told them, and because they had seen the child just as the angel had said. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word that continues to speak, and it's alive in us. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would just continue to illuminate truth in our hearts this morning. As we gather around your word, as we open up your word, we ask that your spirit would speak to us, for we know that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we open ourselves up and we ask that the living word of God would bring life to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to focus specifically on just verses 8 to 12, which is really the encounter that the shepherds have with the angel. And I think there's something significant about the words that the angel speaks to, to the shepherds, and we'll we'll look at that. But verses eight, it says, that night some shepherds were in the fields outside the village, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. And what I was drawn to in this passage is that the announcement from the angel, really the announcement from heaven, is that this was the birth of the Saviour, the Messiah, and the Lord. You know, Christmas is not just the time where we remember the birth of Jesus, but it's much more than that when we look at the names and the significance of, of what took place. It's a time where we were thank God for the birth of salvation itself. We praise God for the birth of fulfilled promises over thousands and thousands of years. It's a time where we worship God for the birth of the Lord of our lives. We are completely dependent and really indebted to the birth of Christ. And, you know, talking to Ellie even about, you know, the significance of this time of year from a business perspective. It's a really busy time for so many retailers, so many shops, and you rely on the, the people shopping and, and all of the Christmas sales. In retail land, many people are dependent on Christmas to get them through other times of the year. And I was thinking about that in the context of us and our lives as followers of Jesus. We too are dependent on Christmas. Without Christmas, there would be no forgiveness, there would be no life, there would be no freedom, there would be no identity, there's no salvation, there's no redemption, there's no deliverance, there's no access into the kingdom of heaven. We are dependent upon Christmas. We're dependent upon the birth of Jesus. And I think, unfortunately, whether it's religion or consumerism or a mixture of both that has kind of taken over much of this time of year, and we can easily gloss over the significance and the depth and the power of, of what took place when, when Christ was born. And we also often, I think, sometimes, at least in Western Christianity, miss the, the journey and, and God's story over thousands of years that led up to that point. And, you know, I was looking into this and different people might have different views on on Christmas, but, you know, it wasn't something that was ever celebrated in the early church. It wasn't something that was around in the first few hundred years. And we obviously had our uh, Rediscover Early Church earlier in the year where we talked about how the early church looked one way for the first 300 or so years. And then as soon as Christianity was adopted, as the official religion of the Roman Empire, so much of Christianity changed because of the way that that played out. And one of those things included Christmas. They used to celebrate Hanukkah as part of the Jewish festivals throughout the year. And Hanukkah, you know, the, the last night of Hanukkah was this Friday just passed. And that was celebrating and remembering the rededication of, of the temple. And it wasn't until after The Romans had declared Christianity as the official religion of the the Roman Empire. And Christianity was spreading, in many cases, on a a kind of more religious basis rather than genuine relationship and encounters. That the Roman Empire were trying to work out what to do with the pagan festivals that took place in December. And they were struggling to stop people celebrating the pagan festivals around um, the winter solstice and the, the harvest at that time. And so they decided that they would create a festival to celebrate the birth of Jesus, and that's where Christmas Christmas started. And you know, when when you think and look back, I, I wonder whether I'm not sure. In there, there is this kind of sense of um, spirit of, of of religion and tokenism about Christmas in a lot of ways, and it's trying to get underneath that into the depth of of what Christmas really is about. And so I want to look at what the angel of the Lord spoke to the the shepherds. And my prayer is that really our eyes and our hearts, mine included, would all be opened and we would experience a greater depth to what the birth of Jesus is is all about. Because the promise of Christmas or the promise of the birth of Jesus, it goes all the way back to Genesis. It flows all the way through the the story of scripture. And I want to look at Genesis chapter 12, verses one to three, these are the, the promise that God made to Abraham and he made a number of promises, some related to the land of Israel, some related to Abraham and his descendants becoming a great nation. But he also said that all people on the earth would be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. So Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this was 2000 BC when that promise was was made, And it had been 2,000 years of waiting, probably 2,000 years of people trying to work out how that promise was going to be fulfilled, what that was going to, to look like. And then what are the first words of the angel to the shepherds on that day? After the kind of standard, what seems like angelic greeting of don't be afraid, right? That's kind of the standard angelic hello. They say, don't be afraid. Seems to be the first few words that they say, no matter when they appear, um, they always say, don't be afraid, But then after that, the words, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. It was all people that was mentioned in the promise to Abraham. And it was all people that was mentioned in the words of the angel to the shepherds that night. You see, the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham 2,000 years ago. There never was anything that was a blessing to all people, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, to all of humanity It was here when Jesus was born that that promise was fulfilled because Jesus came through the line of Abraham. And so we see the promise fulfilled that all the people on the earth are blessed. The other interesting thing about that statement, which you know we can take from this, whatever perhaps stirs within us, but I bring you good news. That word good news is the word that's used for gospel. And that heaven shows as the first time that the kind of gospel was preached The first time the gospel was shared, it was with lowly shepherds kind of spending their their night out in the field. The first preach of the gospel in that sense was not to religious priests or military leaders or kings. It was to shepherds out in the field. And again, just thinking about the way God engages with humanity and the way he chooses to bring his power and his truth into the world. And I think it's important for us to understand that this is a continuation of a story that had been going on for for thousands of years. Um, The Israelites had been waiting for a long, long time for the promise to be fulfilled. They'd been praying, they'd been waiting, they'd been believing. And the next words of the angel, and this is where I want to spend most of the time, and I'm not going to go for, for too long this morning, but the next words that the angel says, I think, confirm the significance of this moment. And the angel says, today in the town of David, A saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Saviour, Messiah and Lord. And in many ways, I feel like this is a kind of picture of the the fullness of the nature and the calling of Jesus. Saviour, Messiah and Lord. And I wonder when, when we think about Jesus at Christmas, what comes to mind for us? Do we just think about a a baby in a nativity? We've got a couple of nativities around. That's right. Marley is pointing to little baby Jesus in the manger right now. (laughs) But but what comes to mind? do Do we actually think about Savior, Messiah, Lord? Maybe we think about one of those. Maybe we think about all of those. Or maybe we do kind of just have a more religious picture of nativity. And it's opening our hearts up and allowing the fullness of who He is to to go deeper inside of us. Because whether it's consumerism or busyness or other things, I do feel like some of the, the depth and the power and the significance of this moment has been stifled over the years. And I was even thinking about, you know, beyond Christmas, and we look across the church, I wonder whether perhaps in Western Christianity, There's been too much of a focus on Savior, and that is really important. And we need to have a revelation of Christ as Savior, but we equally need a revelation of him as Messiah and him as Lord. Um, And so Messiah, that title is specifically linked to, he was the one that was promised to come and deliver the people. The angel, from heaven's perspective, this was a moment when not just the Savior was born, But this was a moment where also the Messiah was born and the Lord was born as well. His birth ushered in not just a new era of salvation, but a new era of promises fulfilled, a new era of deliverance, and also a new era of surrender and and righteousness for the people of the world. And what I find amazing about the statement, not just the glimpse that we get into the fullness of who Christ is and heaven's perspective on what took place, but also that the statement made by the angels was in the present tense. They didn't say, today in the town of David, a baby has been born and he will grow up and eventually become Saviour, Messiah or Lord. It's in the present tense that the moment Jesus was born, he is declared to be the Saviour, the Messiah and the Lord. That baby lying in the manger from heaven's perspective already is the Saviour, already is the Messiah and already is the Lord. And that in itself is an interesting thought and one I've been kind of reflecting on, that this is before Jesus has performed a single miracle, before he's died on the cross, before he rose from the dead, before he sent the Holy Spirit. And yet from heaven's perspective, he already is the Saviour, the Messiah and the Lord. And I wonder how that can be. And I want to just dig into those three names briefly and unpack a little bit around that. So looking at saviour to begin with, you know, obviously this is connected with our salvation, that he's the one that came and saved us from sin and death. But yet at his birth, he hadn't yet gone to the cross. He hadn't yet paid the price for our sin. But I believe that Jesus is called the saviour from the moment of his birth because it was Jesus' willingness to be born as a man, his yes in being willing to come and be born as a man that set everything else in motion, that, that from heaven's perspective, his first yes in saying, I will give up the divine privileges and be willing to be made in the likeness of man, be born through Mary. That first yes is what determined things from heaven's perspective to know that salvation for all humanity was certain. There was a first yes, and I kind of have this picture, right? Jesus had his Garden of Gethsemane wrestle around, not my will, but yours be done. And I wonder whether there was a kind of, you know, a heavenly Garden of Gethsemane moment before Jesus said yes to being born as a man on earth. And there was an initial wrestle, an initial yes that had to be made where he chose for his obedience to the Father, but also his love for us to say, yes, I will be born. I will give up my divine privileges I'll be made in the likeness of man. And from that first yes, the rest was a certainty. And so he was the savior right from the beginning, because as soon as he said yes to being born, that the rest was a certainty and was going to play out. You know, Philippians 2, 6 to 7 talks about the decision and the choice that Jesus made. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Other translations talk about giving up divine privileges and other things, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And there was a choice that Jesus had to make to say, yes, I will give up my divine privileges and I'll be made in human likeness. And that first yes, I feel like, you know, determined the course of the rest of the next 33 years of his life here on earth. And so from The very moment of his birth, heaven announces he is a savior. And Christmas is a chance for us to praise Jesus for that first yes. That first yes, that decision that was made and to thank him for the salvation that was born in Bethlehem. All those, those years ago. And then turning to the the title Messiah that is given. And again, Jesus is called Messiah from the moment he is born. He's the the promised one, the, the deliverer that's been promised right from the beginning. And to be able to understand what took place here and why that title is conferred on him at the beginning. We also need to understand the story of God all throughout scripture, including Old Testament prophecies and how his birth actually fulfills two messianic prophecies alone. And then there's a number of other messianic prophecies that he fulfilled throughout his life. And so the two that were fulfilled, and there might be more, but I know of at least two that were fulfilled at the birth of Jesus. One is Isaiah 7:14, And this was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Amazing that Isaiah wrote those words, obviously inspired by the Spirit of God, but hundreds of years before Jesus was born. The other one is Micah, verse five, uh, chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient times. Isn't that amazing? The prophecy saying that out of Bethlehem, will come one who will be ruler over Israel and his origins date back to ancient times to the beginning. The power of of scripture. Um, Those two messianic prophecies were fulfilled at the birth of Christ. You see, he was Messiah from birth. He was Messiah every day of his life on earth. And he's still the Messiah today. The promised deliverer, the one who came to deliver the people of God. And I mean, the Messianic pro- prophecies and, and the number of them that Jesus fulfilled is amazing. Most scholars say that he fulfilled over 300 Messianic prophecies from the Old Testament. He fulfilled another two just in the first couple of years of his life. You know, there's a Messianic prophecy in Jeremiah or a prophecy in, in Jeremiah about um, the killing of the the boys that happened through King Herod when he tried to eliminate Jesus. There's also a, a prophecy in Hosea chapter 11 about out of Egypt I've called my son. And you might remember that Joseph took Jesus and Mary into Egypt to escape King Herod, and then they came back out of Egypt and fulfilled Hosea 11 verse 1. And I might have shared this before, but I was just looking at it again last night in preparing. A mathematician did a study on the likelihood of one person fulfilling eight, let alone 300 Messianic prophecies, and the the mathematical probability was one with 17 zeros of one person fulfilling just eight of those messianic prophecies. Um, And to provide some context, they said that that number is like taking coins and covering the whole state of Texas. You would need to cover the whole state almost half a meter high, fill it up with (coughs) coins to get that number. And the likelihood of one person fulfilling them is like putting a black mark on a coin you know, they're covering the state of Texas, half a meter high, mix them all up and ask you to pick one. And the likelihood of you picking the one with the black mark on it was the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling just eight of those messianic prophecies. You know, he is the messiah, he is the chosen one, the promised deliverer, was from the very beginning and continues to be today. You know, when you think about all the people that were born, I think it was one in, I don't know, 300,000 that. Um, it would be possible that the Messiah came from Bethlehem, right? And that's just one. And then you add layer upon layer of the different Messianic prophecies and you begin to see how he is the chosen one, the the promised Messiah over thousands of years of promises that had been made, prophecies that had been proclaimed and he fulfilled them. And so Christmas is also a chance for us to, to see the faithfulness of God throughout the generations over thousands of years the faithfulness of his word, the authority of his his word, that we bow down before him knowing that not one of his promises has returned void or will ever return void, that we're able to come and bow down before the Messiah, knowing that he was the promised one and that not only has he fulfilled the prophecies up to his first coming, but we continue to bow down before him knowing that he's still got many promises to fulfill at his second coming. As Messiah, when you think about the number of prophecies, and again, some of us are probably, you know, feel like we've been waiting a long time for promises to be fulfilled. There was hundreds of years for Israel waiting for certain promises to be fulfilled, and sadly, many of them didn't didn't see it when it when it was fulfilled. Um, there will come a time where they will, but um, again, just. You now, keeping our hearts open, trusting in the authority and the power of the Word of God, as you said, Allison, and hopefully having hearts to see, eyes to see when the Word is fulfilled and how God is moving. So we have Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Messiah, and also Jesus as Lord and i really had no idea i found it <laughs> i was like okay lord maybe that's confirmation that i turned turned over number 17 this morning and it was lord um, as, the, as as the as the name of jesus but this one i think is a, is an interesting one that that jesus is called lord immediately after his birth as a man and i think this speaks to that mystery that is so hard for us to understand that somehow jesus was fully god and fully man and we, we we don't understand it in our intellectual kind of side and minds, but the truth is that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And when you look again at Philippians 2, I read that verse before talking about you know him as, as saviour and that first yes when he chose to give up his divine privileges. And so Philippians 2, 6 to 7, I'll say it again, and this is in the NLT. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine Privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. You see, Jesus gave up his divine privileges, but he didn't give up his divine nature. He gave up his divine privileges, but he didn't give up his divine nature. He never stopped being Lord. He was still fully God and fully man. He was still Lord. He just gave up the divine privileges that went along with who he was in heaven and chose to lay them aside, humble himself to be born as a man. He never stopped being Lord. He was Lord at creation right at the very beginning. He was Lord at his birth. He was Lord during his time on earth. He is Lord now. He will be Lord when he comes back, and he will be Lord for all eternity after that. So Jesus at his birth was Savior, Messiah, and and Lord. And so as we reflect on the power of that truth that All three of those names were proclaimed by the angel at his birth. What what does that mean for us today? How should we respond if we grasp the truth that Jesus is Savior, Messiah and Lord, that he is Savior, we have salvation from sin and death because of him. He is Messiah, we have an inheritance of thousands of years of promises because of his birth. He is Lord. We have someone bigger, better, and much more powerful than us who is in control. What does our response look like if we think about Jesus as Savior, Messiah, and Lord? You know, we might have different thoughts and happy to have a conversation about this in a, in a moment. One of the ones that comes to me when, we think, when I think about Jesus as Savior is just overwhelming thankfulness. There's a, a sense of gratitude and thankfulness that I've been saved from my sin and death and the mess that I was in, saved from darkness. When I think about Jesus as Messiah, there's this kind of adoration and devotion that you are the promised one. You are the one that was promised thousands of years before and I'm here to adore you because you are the one who fulfilled all of those promises and are continuing to live out the truth of all of those prophecies. And Jesus as Lord, I pray that my response is surrender and obedience to his Lordship. And so to to bring this together and to wrap things up, you know, as I was thinking about those three responses, thankfulness and adoration and, and surrender, I felt like God say that that actually is a really beautiful picture of what worship looks like. Right, we enter his courts with thanksgiving. We come before him and bow down in adoration and devotion. And then we choose to surrender all that we are before him and entrust it into his lordship. That's what worship, worship is. Coming into his gates with thanksgiving. Bowing down in adoration and devotion. And then surrendering ourselves before him as he is the Lord of our lives. And so that's my prayer for all of us this Christmas. That... That really we would be filled with a deeper worship and a deeper sense of revelation of who Christ really is. He is Savior, he is Messiah, and he is Lord. That our hearts would be filled with thanksgiving and thankfulness, adoration, devotion, surrender, and obedience. As we take time to reflect on who he is and all that he has done.